0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, November 16th, 2022, and we are back at Heritage Radio Network Studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is our 340th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are a dynamic, award-winning restaurant group duo, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be unapologetically you. Own who you are and what you believe in and stand for, and don't think twice about it. Being unapologetic means knowing that, that you do not need outside validation or approval to feel good enough or worthy. As humans, we naturally desire to be accepted, understood, seen, and heard, and to feel like we belong. But really, what we need is to accept and love ourselves wholeheartedly, and that in turn will lead others to love us equally. So let's live our lives as we choose and be unapologetic for it, always. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm super excited to have... Two fabulous people in the studio with me. They are Rani Mazumdar and Chef Chintan Padya, the co owners of Unapologetic Foods, an award winning restaurant group that is out to redefine Indian food. Rani and Chintan's restaurants and food brands, including Damaka, Sema, Ada, Masa Law and Sons, Kebab Wala, and Rowdy Rooster, and Biryani Bowl and Aero Banquets concepts have set the New York City scene on fire. Their accolades include, for Ada, Food & Wine Magazine's Top 10 Best New Restaurants 2019, Eater National's Best New Restaurants in 2019, and Bon Appetit's Top 50 Best New Restaurants in 2019. And then for Damaka, Chintan won the James Beard Foundation Award for Best Chef New York State, and he was the first in this category as an Indian chef to win. And Damaka was also named the number one restaurant of the year by the New York Times, Esquire <coughs> Magazine, and one of the top 50 restaurants in the country by the New York Times. And finally, I'll say Sama was named in Bon Appetit's top 10 new restaurants of 2022 and earned a Michelin star. And this is the short list. <laughs> this is a short list, and that was long. So without further ado, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank Thanks. you.
2: Pleasure being here.
0: Yeah. Well, pleasure to have you both and so much to talk about. So um, let's go back. I love to start with my guests and find out about their backgrounds. And so you want to take us back a bit to like where you grew up, what what brought you into the culinary world and eventually here to New York City?
2: Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Ronnie, and uh, I was born in Calcutta. Uh, that's what it was called then. Now it's called Kolkata. Uh, and moved here in 1996. And, you know, followed a fairly traditional route of what uh, first-generation immigrant does. So went and studied engineering, worked in the Fortune 500s. It was around that time my dad was retiring. And I thought, huh, what would, it, what would he have done? if he had the right opportunities in his life. And somewhere this idea of a restaurant came about, which he felt was the craziest idea in the world because no one in the family has ever run a restaurant. So it didn't make any sense whatsoever. But the question I asked was, if you only did what someone else have done in the past, then there will be no uncharted territories to explore. So somehow, in many fights later, convinced my father that it's the right path. And uh, we jumped into it. And that was the first Masala Wala that my dad and I opened in 2011. And in the process of helping my father find his dream, uh, I think I ended up finding my own. So left uh, the Fortune 500s behind and jumped headfirst into this industry, found Chef Chintan in the process. And together we started this whole idea of what unapologetic foods is. And that's what created the slew of restaurants that you see and hear about right now.
0: Amazing. Fantastic.
1: Mine is a very single tone life. So I grew up in a city called Mumbai in India. He's and, the boring one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think either of you are boring.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I obviously, st- I started, I did my culinary school, then was a part of a management school by a very uh, renowned hotel chain in India called Oberoi Hotel. So I was a part of their school, passed out through it in 2003, Started working with them. I was there till 2008. Uh, 2009, I moved to Singapore. Ah. And I was there for uh, close to four and a half years. From there, I moved to Cleveland, then to Atlanta, and then to New York City. And I think um, I've always been cooking my life. 2017 is when me and Ronnie started working together. And that's the journey. So I've been cooking for nearly 22 years now.
0: Amazing. So when did you guys initially meet and then what what sparked the let's form a company together versus just being people who maybe work together or cross paths in the industry? I I think it's
1: uh, like if you want specifics, I think we I think we met on March 15, 2017 is the first time we would have actually met each other he doesn't remember the dates i'm sure i remember all the dates and uh, may 1st was officially we started working together and 2000- which
0: restaurant was this rahi, rahi. this okay. was our first
1: restaurant rahi and i think you know it's we didn't knew each other it's it's over a period of time that now we know about each other and everything so if you asked us on the first day that do you think where do you see yourself from five years we wouldn't have have that answer yeah. You know, it's it's all. And I think, you know, you realize over a period of time that what are your strengths, weaknesses, and you work around it. And I think that's how the entire team has formed. And not, and not only us. Now we have a team who has been working with us for a few years now. And everybody knows each other's, uh, you know, strengths and how we take the company more forward. You know, what's interesting
2: is um, I think it's been a really organic process in many ways. Mm-hmm organic process, while the name of the company is unapologetic, there's been a lot of personal battles and insecurities, all of those moments that we needed to overcome. Because what's happening with Indian food right now in this city, no one could have predicted this, including us. So we just started really small. We There was no business plan that said, this is our five-year plan, this is our ten-year plan. There was none of that. It was We just show up every day. And every day we do things a little bit better but what ended up happening was i I felt that we were chipping away at something and slowly one fine day the floodgates opened but no one had a clue that it would and that was a Indian canteen in long island city
0: yeah which I remember, I remember going out to Solo on a very rainy night, and kind of like finding finding this place and and feeling so welcomed when I arrived and and enjoying a wonderful meal. Um, so I have a wonderful memory of that, and I also have a memory of dining at Rahi with our friend Picheong um, and meeting you. I think that's the first time we met, wow. um, and. But it's, it's like, I remember that also was a fabulous meal, but I feel when I think back about that time, it was just, it wasn't as your rest like the restaurants you have now are as on fire, like you're, and all these, I did want to, I didn't, I, I purposely like read or talked about all those accolades because it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy impressive how many how you, how much recognition you guys have gotten and so well deserved but like take it i mean from you've been working in the industry for a while where you weren't getting sure. the same recognition so what i guess the question is like what do you think do you think it was just chipping away in time or do you, is there something that you did differently that kind of made got the press attention and people's interest
2: I think the turning point in many ways was there came a time in Adda where leading up to Adda was really interesting. It was probably one project we thought that had no real future. It was just people within a ten block radius would show up, do some takeout and deliveries. I was going around into buildings and dropping off flyers, hoping that, hey, you know, there's this a decent building. Maybe it has some folks in it, they're gonna show up. What ended up, what Adda ended up doing was it struck a chord, but beyond that, Adda was the first time I think we as a group looked inward than outward. So it was the first time, and then Chintan and I had a big difference in opinion at Adda, actually, with the menu, because I felt no one would show up for this menu anyway. He's a talented chef, but how would the world know who he is if this is what he's putting out there. And he said, no, this is the menu. And there goes the next seven days. We barely spoke to each other because I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to be a resounding failure. And next thing you know, there's line around the block. And that was, it caught me by surprise. Like I will, it's probably one of the biggest lessons of my life.
0: Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it,
2: it's crazy. But I think that process of not worrying about that was, I think that's what gave birth to what is unapologetic foods today is not worrying about what anyone in the world would think about, but really going back to your own personal
1: moments and just driving that home. And that, that's it. Yeah. I, I think, and it is also a lot to do with the fear of failure. You know, when you actually don't have that fear of failure is the day you do things that you strongly believe in. So I think what Adda did is, it actually, that concept of fear of failure made it more bleaker or it made it go away from our mind. It gave us that, it gave us this, uh, you know, wings to fly. Where we said, okay, we have to believe in it to do it. And from there, it was just a stepping stone, you know. So we just kept on building on it.
0: Yeah.
1: And as he said earlier, like, we didn't have a five-year plan or anything. We still don't have any plan. I don't to, have
0: a plan. Yeah. You, you just, just go. You just go. <laughs> you, you
1: just need to come. You need to enjoy it. And it's it's a journey. And yeah. there are sometimes you will do very well. Sometimes you will not do very
0: well. Sometimes it might be disastrous. But that will be a part of your journey. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the different, your different restaurants and the type of cuisine <clears throat> you're doing at each place. Because, I mean, I, it's... I, I kind of don't want to say this, but I think it's still true that a lot of people or some people might think Indian food or an Indian f- food restaurant is one, is just, it's one thing. Like, I think some people might think Italian food, Italian food restaurant is just one thing and not thinking about regions and just specialties in different areas of of these, these countries and places. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the difference between what you're doing at Damaka and SEMA and, and now at Am I gonna say it right? Masala, masala wala. Wala. and I apologize. I apologize in words. advance. I pronunciation not my strongest point, <laughs> and I'm trying.
1: It's, it's masala wala.
0: Masala wala. You got it. it literally, it means a masala spice, wala. It's got it. a very nice ring to it. Actually. There you go.
1: Yes. <laughs> so I, I see. First and foremost, let me uh, give you a very clear picture about the country itself. That it's it's a population of 1.4 billion. You know, as of yesterday, the world population is 8 billion, out of which 1.4 billion is India. So that is a significant amount of population. And our food has changing every 50, 60, 100 miles the food keeps on changing. But what has happened till now is that the entire cuisine has been represented by seven or eight dishes. And that's the commercial version of the food, which is going across the world. Not only in America, everywhere across the world, they do it that way. So I think what it gives us is it gives us a very blank canvas. And we can work on those regional specifics and those regions as to create the food out of it. So like if you look at Adda, Adda is more to do with street food of Bombay, Delhi, that kind of food. Tamaka uh, is like the forgotten side of India, as we call it. These are food from smaller villages, smaller areas, which nobody wants to talk about. Everybody loves to eat that food but nobody wants to cook that food. Why? Maybe it's something they are not... A lot yes. of chefs, I feel, would feel very... Um, what would be the term, Ronnie? It's... It,
2: a lot of people don't think it's elevated enough. Elevated, yes. And, and I think the problem lies in, in the fact that we associate, we intertwine food and flavors with economics. And whenever we do that, you're actually, without realizing, focusing on a region that has a higher economic power. And whenever you're cooking food from that region, you believe you're associating yourself with a little higher level of society. And by cooking food of the pedestrians, it's not as exciting. Oh, that's just what the villagers have. And somewhere, I think that India is still mostly villages, still the rural population. Yet that's the one part of the country that we refuse to really talk about on a global scale. We're too busy talking about the Bollywood wives, but not really focusing on what's happening to the rest of the country. And the reason being, because we want the world to see India as a superpower and shiny object, which is phenomenal. And it is. But I think there's an entire side of it that it doesn't have to be shiny to be great. And I think that acknowledgement is something that's really critical for all of us, that Don't just worry about the sheen, but worry about what's under the covers and where the flavors are. And that's been a real big focus for
1: us. Yeah. And as he points out, and I think that's that's what a lot of people like. And I genuinely meet so many people. They love to eat it, but they don't want to cook it. Yeah. So it's uh, and for me, it's very different other way around where I need to love it to cook it. It's other way around. And uh, then we have sema, which serves the regional southern Indian food from five states of India, which are southern Indian uh, peninsula of India there are five states so sema focuses on that food regional food uh rowdy rooster is indian fried chicken it's spiced indian with indian spices and blends of things and they're in there and uh, then we have masala Wala, which serves food from bengal which is the eastern part of the country uh, ronnie comes from calcutta so he's from bengal and yeah that's it so these are the different concepts
0: <laughs> And and how are you managing all that? Are you running between all your restaurants daily or are you I mean you we, obviously put together a good team?
1: We have a phenomenal team and it it's something that keeps on growing like in a market like New York we <clears throat> such a competitive market and so much you know like uh, offers that people get we have people who have been working with us for now four to five years That's not well, one individual together. Multiple individuals who have been there with five years, four years, three years, one year, two years. So I think what has happened is over a period of time, like the team has built up strong. And, you know, like, like uh, we are there most of the time. So between me and Ronnie, we are at one or the other restaurants. Right now, we are more at Masala Ola because it's the newest one. But we are normally there at one of the
0: places. I know. I just went and you were both there. Yeah. magically no it's magically in brooklyn it was amazing
2: (laughs) no no but there's many reasons it's it's you know what's important to realize is we're not just creating a group of restaurants but we're fighting and creating an idea uh, and a whole new set of ideals now an idea can only thrive when it goes beyond you and there's other people who believe in it so part of the reason why we exist is that People are willing to, one, show up, be it Park Slope, be it in the outskirts of Long Island City, but there's also people who are willing to fight for it, and that's our team members. And I think the growth of an organization or an idea really resides on our ability to be able to empower others. It's not not a monarchy. It's not about just Chintan and I. It's more than that, and I think if we're really going to talk about our cuisine, our culture, and who we are, in a much more universal way. Even though we have only created Indian restaurants, the message that we send resonates with anybody who's ever looked at ethnic food, anybody who's been a minority anywhere in the world. Because somewhere, somehow, we all have felt this innate desire to somehow fit in. And for once, when you're part of a group that's not trying to fit in, and just proudly saying, no, this is just who we are. the That fish is on the bone. That oil that you see on top is just how the dish is made, and it's okay. I think it is incredible and a powerful moment for a lot of people within the team. Is there you know, 100% of success? No. There will be some team members that come and go, et cetera. But for the most part, the core leadership and our growth is dependent on the fact that there's really an amazing group of individuals who believe it just as much as us, if not more.
0: That's awesome. What about signature dishes? Is that something you you put thought into, or things just become a signature dish? And I'm thinking about your rabbit dish at Tamata, like which what you're still doing that, but it's is it one a night? Yeah, it's still one okay. a night. I <clears throat> see. I, I think it's
1: the intention was not to create something as a signature. If we are doing a dish, it needs to be a signature. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so
1: they're all signature. They're all signature. Yeah. And I, I don't use the word signature because I feel that, like, you know, Lord, the most common question, what do you think is the best? And I'm like, our menus are very small. If it's not best, it doesn't need to be on the menu.
0: Right.
1: See, the, the thing about rabbit is that when I spoke about this idea with everyone, I remember, and I said, you know, we, we need to create this dish, which is like a larger format dish. And everybody's like, oh, that's phenomenal. I said, let's do a rabbit, you know, like not many people know about it in, with Indian food. And let's do that. And they're like, oh, that's cool. But I said, you know what? We cannot cook more than one rabbit. So like, he was like, why? But I said, we just can't cook it. It's so big. The, the kitchen space is so small. It takes up a serious amount of kitchen space and everything. So everybody thought it was a stupid idea. Yeah, I still remember. I still remember the first time I told you guys and you're like, why one? Why can't we sell 10? But I said, I cannot cook 10. The problem is to cook it at Mm -hmm. 100%, 10 of them, it's impossible for me. It's humanly impossible. So I can't do it. I'm incapable of it. So when we actually started the rabbit dish, uh, they said, what should be the pricing? And when I looked at the actual price of ingredients, everything, anything below like $210, we would have been losing money. But they still fought and put the price at one ninety, and everybody's like, nobody's gonna buy this.
0: And now it's in demand. It's,
1: it's. I think it's in demand because it's only one.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm, (laughs) I'm lucky that I, I've had it. It was, and it's fantastic. It's spicy. I mean, your food is spicy. I I like spicy food, but I find your food to be very spicy. It is. It is. But (laughs) deliciously spicy. But I got. I was. I was fortunate to be at a group dinner with with people in the industry, and at that table, that we had the rabbit, and um, I feel very lucky.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and it's a very, uh, it's you know, it's it's the people are terming it. It's a very signature dish or something. It's not. It's just that we try to create a very honest product. So if you look at that product as uh, on its own, it's a very honest product. That's the way you'll eat it in a. Uh, a village in India, or if you go hunting in India, which is not legal in India now, but I'm talking about a long time back when it was legal, that is how you would eat it. So we are trying to create that experience, which is what actual thing is. Yeah. That's it.
2: So, you know, when you think of dishes or these ideas, it has a lot to do with taking you to that moment and, under, and how precious that moment might have been. So a lot of people associate value with just the core ingredient, right? We sometimes don't even consider the labor, the, you know, what it takes to acquire something. But let's put all of that aside. Food has the ability to almost transport us, not almost, it can, to that very moment. And something that I have never experienced in my life until I tried the rabbit, he has. So, and I I think these are really unique moments that we don't, really get a chance to try and I think somewhere as you are going from one restaurant to another to another I think it's more than you know spices but it's more about these moments right and of course you know I I totally get it what you mean And, and we talk about these things all the time I'm glad you brought up the spices because you know certain things are intentionally so but with a sense of purpose there are dishes you'll find that wouldn't be so spicy for anybody Because that dish doesn't or shouldn't be spicy. And there's nothing wrong with it. And we're not going to take it like, well, people believe we sell spicy food. So we're going to make it spicy. We don't do that. Yeah. I know. (laughs) I know you know what what we mean. But I'm sharing this for a reason. But the flip side is someone who's of Indian origin asked me this exact question. They said, I went to the muck. I found it so spicy. You know, these were the dishes I tried. And I said, well, whose perspective were you thinking from? This person is from a well-to-do, is a city dweller. Most of his meals have been at luxury hotels and restaurants. So his idea of what Indian food is, being Indian, is from a completely different part of society, as opposed to what we are addressing is, I told them, have you been to a village? Have you been to someone's home in that village? Experienced how they're really tasting it? So our job is to bring you as close to that as possible. And to do that, why dilute it? That's sort of the thought process that goes into all the restaurants and every dish, every aspect of what we're creating. So Masala Walla might have a few dishes that are not that spicy because that's not how we eat in our homes.
0: Yeah. No, I get it. And I think what you're doing is fantastic. I have a question. I want to get to, I have two questions from past guests because we did a little rescheduling. But before I ask that, how do you guys work with each other? Like, are you completely back of the house, front of the house, like, do you cross? Like, do you give each other space? Because that's, I always think, always something, I don't know, when people talk about, you know, co-owners co of a restaurant group and restaurants, like, sometimes the chef is just, the chef takes care of the food and and the front of the house person takes care of the management. But how do you guys work? I,
1: I think we don't have anything specific as a operational job role. I, I don't cook. That's one thing I want to specify. That know. is one job role that he has 100%. Ronnie, that we know because of our success. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. No, what happens is that obviously in the day-to-day basis, like as, as day-to-day basis, we have a very defined role. Ronnie's the CEO of the company. He looks after the expansion and everything to do with finances, strategy, vision. That's his thing. My job is more into operations and everything. But there are days where you know, he'll call me up. Oh, I'll be there. Can you just take care of it? So I think one thing is there that, you know, there are times where he's actually literally moving food in his van like a delivery driver. So there is no defined role we have. The, the only thing that we have in our mind is the vision as a company that we are growing. And all of us are working to achieve that goal. The day, I think, Everybody will have started defining role. It will be very complex as an operation. Right now, it's a very simple operation. We just get up. We are there to work for our customers. That's it. And and look, we have
2: our core responsibilities. Yeah. Right? So we know, well, here's something important. is that we also know what is, are those core areas and not where we can give each other that trust. I'll give you an example. When it comes down to a dish, I'm not there tweaking it. But on the flip side, if we're looking at a location, (laughs) if I'm negotiating a lease, if we're going into construction, I would say, hey, this is how it needs to be. It's like, if you think so, then that's what it is. So we give each other that unwavering faith so that there's a very clear space. But at the same time, you don't understand how many times I would reach out to say, do you like this? And it has nothing to do with food. It's something that's radically different. It could be a wallpaper. It could be a person's resume. It doesn't matter. So I think what we look at each other on is, I think we look we lean on each other for each other's strengths. I think he has really good judgments on people, sometimes better than me. His instincts could be better. And even though I'm on the front side making the decision for hiring, I would come to him and say, I said, this is a really important hire. Can you make sure? What do you think of this? And him and I would talk about it. So we don't, doesn't mean just because he's a chef, why is he talking about this side? There's no this or that side. It's just one thing. And we just know when to lean on each other.
0: And I would say that I think that definitely plays in your success, for sure, 100%, the way you work together. I guess we've never
2: second-guessed each other. It's something important that we talked about very early on. Yeah. Which is even at times if we don't agree on one another once we decide that we're gonna do something we're gonna support each other 100 to 100 you know 150 percent of the way. So I don't have to agree with it maybe whatever something has he has decided upon but once we know that that's where we're headed, there's no turning back nobody's gonna then crib about it oh God I don't really'm gonna drag my, no that's our decision as a group that's what we're doing and I think that's something as a as a team it's sometimes difficult for I can understand why in certain teams, because we're always thinking of ourselves. My idea didn't get you know, picked on, so therefore I feel small. I don't think we're worried about who's feeling big or small. I think our job is singular. How do we lift each other up more than each other? How are we lifting the people who believed in us, lifting them up? So we could be the smallest little speck somewhere. Who cares? There are conversations I have where, it, let's say both of us are involved, I would totally speak for him if he's not even on the call. I said, he doesn't matter. What matters are the two people that are in this team, and they need to make sure they get acknowledged first. And it's something that I know he would say that about me without even talking to me. And that's, these are values. And as a company culture that we've been able to set, what is amazing is when it goes beyond the two of us and when other team members talk like that. That, to me,
1: is something that I think that can carry the mission forward you know something like i always explain i keep on explaining people that i work with that and i i learned it very early in my career and everything where one of my bosses taught me where you know i just did something as a young cook and i went up to him and he says it's a stupid dish and i was like broken like i was like oh my god and this and that and everything so obviously he realized that I was like after a few days that I'm not very happy. Like, he says, what happened? I said, no, you called me stupid. And I said, no, I didn't call you stupid. He says no, I, I said stupid dish. So he says, the, the problem with us lies is when there's a conflict in situation and if something is said in a very wrong tone, we take it personally. But it's not meant for me personally. Like mm-hmm. there are times when I'll do something he'll say, ah, this is disastrous. But if I was a young kid, I'll think I'm disastrous. It's not that think that is disastrous so i think what has happened over time is we have realized that that how we have to break that conflict out you know and i think we are trying to inculcate the same with the team where at the end of the day everything has to revolve around the the vision of our company and i think that's what keeps everybody grounded and together fantastic
0: fantastic I really, no, it's really good stuff. Um, okay, so I have some questions from my past guests for both of you. So here we go. Uh, question from episode 334 I had on Meg Bickford. She's the executive chef at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. She has two questions. One, the first one is, what is one thing that you would like people to unlearn about Indian food? Because what you're doing is so in-depth, she added. Um so we could we'll start with that. So what's one thing you'd like people to unlearn? Uh, they they need to
1: they need to you know basically just go with an open mind to any of our restaurants. I I, I can't talk for about everyone, and I'll talk about our restaurants. They need to actually go with a very open mind and an open idea about that food when they go to any of our restaurants because it's actually going to change their perception yeah you know I, I, you know like and because indian food is so complex and so varied and as i said earlier it keeps on changing every 50 60 80 100 miles that there's so many variations of it like i was who i was talking to yesterday and i was saying that you know, we can create 100 restaurants with different regional food and still we'll, we'll have an option to do 50 more restaurants Oh yeah. with different food.
0: I'm going to have trouble pronouncing all those names when you do that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I, I will say this one thing is that if there's one thing to learn about Indian food is that there's no such thing as Indian food. Yes. That's it. Whenever you think of the idea of Indian food, you have a very clear picture in your head as a consumer. Here's what the place is going to look like. Here's the kind of music it's playing. It's a darker tone, brown place and whatnot, or it's a modern place. It's an either or. And then I'm going to have this kind of flavor profile. What you're really seeing is a flavor profile that's from the Northwestern part of the country and a little touch of what the Mughals have left back. What you're not seeing is true regionality in Indian restaurants. So there is no way to define Indian restaurants. It's just as difficult as saying European food. So German food and Spanish food is practically the same at that point. It's similar regions, then there's no difference. And I think that is where what we all need to unlearn first. There's a dish called Dokle that's in Tamaka. It's a pork face salad. If you try that, the first time I tried it, it was in a trial. I walked in. I thought he did a takeout from maybe a Malaysian place or Indonesian. That's, I swear to God. Yeah. And he said, no, that's going on the menu. I said, what are you talking about? What What is this? And I, I've never experienced that kind of texture, that flavor profile. That's not India to me as somebody who's in the business, who's from India, all of those things. So imagine somebody who is not from there and how much of a prejudice that we're going to be looking at the whole you know country with. It's a subcontinent. And we need to understand It's a cluster of many different cultures and languages and flavors combined in one. So it's impossible to define it as Indian food.
0: Wonderful. Okay, second part of her second question she had was, with your rapidly expanding restaurant group, do you have a favorite one? You know, that good favorite question that people like to ask. I I don't say
1: favorite, but whenever people ask me, I say if and when I want to actually, I'm hungry and I want to eat something, I go to Arda.
0: Okay. <laughs> say something.
1: Um, it's like picking between your kids. So I have
2: favorite dishes from different restaurants, but it's impossible because so much have gone into each and every single one of the restaurants to tell that bigger story of what India is, that it's all, it's almost unfair to compare and say, this is my favorite because they're meant to tell a much larger story. So imagine each restaurant is a chapter in a much larger book that you're reading. And each time a restaurant opens, it's another chapter, it's another perspective that you're getting on. So for me to compare, it's again, going back to that same European analogy, then I'm saying then French and Italian should be you know, compared side by
1: side. It shouldn't be. So it's two that's different that's things. Okay, just think that you're going to have this meal. Just one meal, which restaurant will you go to?
0: you making it depends
1: foods. on no he's
0: going to your house
1: yeah no just, just, okay let's say like, <laughs> no it depends on the moment it really depends on so let everything done everything done one meal last meal let's say that's your last meal which restaurant one i'll have to think about it i don't know
0: i don't know <laughs> i can answer it well no, i have, another, I have no, another favorite when, question When somebody
1: asked me this question long time back which of your restaurants you and actually i that time i didn't have an answer and i was thinking about it and then I said, you know what? Actually, I'll be... I came back after thirty minutes, and I told that person that actually I thought about it, and I said, "What if I get hungry? What am I craving?" And I said, "I want. I'll go to Adda.
2: Then probably it's gonna be masala wala for me because it's the closest for home for me. It's the closest I can relate. So it, it's I'm biased, and that's why it's so. It, it's not a judgment of the restaurant, but it's my past. It's what I've yeah. grown up with, and it's the food that I know every day of my life. So yeah.
0: Terrific. Okay. Another favorite question I have for my guest on episode 339. I had on Aria Acheta. She's the brand ambassador for Diageo non elk brands in the central region. And she wants to know, what is your favorite dish to cook for comfort?
2: Oh, I have my dish. You go first. Biryani. This is my comfort. There's only one dish and it's something I crave. It's something every day. Like I, I... There's a comfort in cooking it. I'll never be as good as Chintan in terms of making it, but the process of making it, there's something very, it's really just, whenever there's a, a, like imagine a snow day, everything is closed and I'm at home. I somehow would bring out from the freezer a little pack of whatever meat, hopefully red meat, and (coughs) I'm off to make a biryani. There's nothing more
1: comfort than that for me. There you go. KCD khichdi is like a hook. how do
0: you I, spell that
1: it's called k h i c h d i okay and it's like a porridge thing which has got rice and lentils in there uh in different parts of the country it's made in different ways but i love eating khichdi so like if i'm even if the day i'm not working if my wife or my mom, mom asks me what do you want to eat khichdi
0: is that on any of your restaurant menus masala wala
1: masala wala okay so, okay. but again see as i was saying it's made in different ways in different parts of the country uh, i come from the western part so the way the 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 lentils that we use in our khichdi are actually different from the lentils eastern part of the country uses but uh, yeah quechiri, that's my thing fabulous there, there is one thing that
2: i was just thinking about it's not on any of the restaurant menus and i don't think we could ever put it because it's such an it's a somewhat of an acquired taste. I don't know if other people would even find it exciting as a flavor. It's somewhat flat. It's a it's a poppy seed fritter. You ma- it's the it simplest thing that you've It Does can ever not have.
0: sound like it would be flat it, to me? It it, it, it it's and I literally at home. Sounds
2: good. My dad <laughs> knows there's a way that I like it, and it just it's crispy on the outside but soft at the center because, and all you do is you take that you mash that with rice when you're having it. And I can have 20 of those. It's absurd. And sometimes he's like, oh, guess what I made? I have this. But sometimes he screws it up. It's not that good. But there are days when he makes it, makes it perfectly. Man, I can have as many as I want. It's crazy.
0: I don't know. I see a new addition maybe going on uh, like, maybe like a Rowdy Rooster's menu or something. <laughs> We've, we shall see. If so, yeah. you heard it here first. And on that note, Let's take a little break. (laughs) Uh, We will come back. We will play my speed round, talk some industry news and my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. You've heard me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on this podcast. Now for some time. Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Whether you are an experienced bartender looking for new inspirations and trends, or you are just starting out, Diageo Bar Academy's online courses offer real life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and some of the advanced e learning courses take less than 30 minutes to complete. And many of the quizzes and activities will generate a certificate upon completion. E-learning courses cover everything from skills and techniques to serving responsibly and creating your own personal brand. Visit diageobaracademy.com to build your skills with Diageo Bar Academy e-learning and master classes. Made for newbies and bar professionals at every level, it's time to focus on taking your career to the next level. Become a member today for instant access to its global bar community. That's diageobaracademy.com, D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Must be 21 or over and please drink responsibly. Thank you.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones.
4: And I'm your co-host, Dara Bresnitz. Part of why we started this show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online, Or just something you want to do for fun.
3: Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out. Yes, ma'am. Has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives using food as the medium.
4: It's something that has driven us professionally and personally for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're gonna sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry.
3: With 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give through these conversations an insider's view into personal stories from the field, as well as an in-depth behind the scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape.
4: We'll be covering everything from how to style your food to how to license IP, to developing your own ideas and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show.
3: Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, how to, and how do you do the things that you do in culinary media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29.
4: We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera, and we're bringing them all together to share their stories their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world.
3: So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe. And make sure to give us a follow at the Culinary Call Sheet on Instagram.
0: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guests today are Rani Vazumdar and Chef Chintan Padya, the co-owners of unapoli unapologetic foods an award-winning restaurant group that is out to redefine Indian food. So it's time for my speed round game. You guys ready?
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do we give, get any prize or anything? Or?
0: I, I gave you the prize in yes. advance. Oh you, got, you got Come you got me. you got you got some I, hats.
1: I, yes. I'm, see, the problem is I'm very competitive. So it should be only one hat. And whosoever wins gets it. You well, can give it both of us. I don't know if we
0: have time today, but also <laughs> I'll joking. buy I'll buy some pizza for the nah, winner. How about that? <laughs> Which is will be both of you. Okay. <laughs> Um, so what this is is I'm gonna name a couple things and you gotta pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Ready? Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant.
1: Eat in at home. At a restaurant.
0: Indoor dining or al fresco dining?
1: Indoor. Indoor.
0: Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne.
1: Wine. Cocktail.
0: Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates. Small plates. Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter. Communal table. Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge. Tipping. Tipping. Rascal, ruffian, rebel, ro- rogue, or rowdy. If rebel. I said those right. Rebel. Rebel is hot. Yeah. These are spice levels. I have. I have. I have extra notes in my notes. Yes. And Ronnie?
2: Uh, I think I'll go with Rubble
0: Yeah. Me? Rascal. <laughs> <laughs> rascal with the little rowdy. I, well, they're both great, but I like that you have the smaller version <sighs> if you're, you know, do, if you... Okay, rowdy, as an option.
1: If, rowdy, if you can handle rowdy, you cannot say food is spicy at other restaurants.
0: No, no, no. I mean, well, no, that... Rowdy's, your crazy hot. Right, yeah. No, but if I did... My spice level would be rascal. Oh, okay.
1: course, got it. Yeah. No, no,
2: and... I had the rowdy. I needed a glass of milk. Okay. And I can handle my spice, but anyhow.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue into my next one. Rose milk or mango passion lassi? Oh, rose milk.
1: I I actually like the mango lassi at uh, Adda. So the mango passion lassi is at Dhamaka. Rose milk is masala. But okay. my choice is mango lassi at Adda.
0: Yeah, I was looking at your menu and I saw that one, so I yeah. didn't know, but good to know you got yeah. options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for people, I mean, people listening probably get this, but really, these drinks are are balance the spiciness or help yeah. with that a little bit.
1: If he's a he's a purist, so yeah. he doesn't want. Yeah, even the mangulus. So the Mangolassi. I, I love, love Mangolassi at and both.
0: But I tried the rose milk. When I was at your restaurant and that was delicious. I mean, they're both delicious.
2: It's the the way the rose flavor goes that it has a very clear essence of something I used to crave (laughs) after school. So that's what gives me the excitement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Oh, dessert. My
1: God. That's a difficult one.
0: I'll take cheese. (laughs) And Manhattan or Brooklyn?
2: Manhattan. Depends on what perspective. What are we talking about? Is it business? Is it fun? What are we talking
0: about? I don't know. I've had someone on this show think I was talking about drinks. You know? So you can interpret it however you want. We
2: only look at it through a business lens. Okay. So No, I I think Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn has this completely uncharted territory right now. And there's this amazing group of people that are really open to trying amazing experiences. So I, I think... I think Manhattan's fun, but I think Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, I guess I should have asked Queens too in the mix. Yeah, sure. Yeah. could've, but too late. Too late.
2: <laughs> yeah, I usually do Manhattan. Staten Island. Or, Island.
0: Brooklyn. <laughs> or Staten Island. Oh boy. A Bronx, Bronx <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, up. I should have them all in there. I'm really being biased here, but <laughs> that's the game. <laughs> so that was fun. No, and I fun. loved it because you guys same on some and different on some. Different
2: on majority, I think. Yeah. 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 He's not the tasting menu guy. I'll tell you right now. (laughs) I'm all about that. I'm all about... So, but yeah, it's we're different in that regard.
0: Very cool. Okay. So for industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times that just came out. It's entitled, What Does Your Favorite Reservation App Say About You? For a decade, the online reservations industry was dominated by one player. Now, the myriad choices have given way to strong opinions from diners. And this was by Priya Krishna. And I mean, yeah, this is a fitting article to talk about reservation, restaurant reservation apps. And it started out saying somebody in the that they quoted was referred to open table is economy, resi is premium economy, and talk is business class. But that was interesting. And it's been um as someone who dines out a lot and I make a lot of reservations, I'm, I know, I know these apps. <laughs> um, and it's, 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 interesting to see, I mean, many years ago, 10 years ago, it was open table was dominating and almost all the reservations I was making were through open table. And I have to say in the past year or so, I'm using resi a lot more. Like, um, I still use open table sometimes, sometimes talk, um, it mentioned in this piece what they have uh, about um, seven rooms, which sometimes comes up. What they don't—it was—it's interesting because I even had—I've had, I've had uh, Joel Montanil, who's um, the co-founder of the company on the show, and um, and Seven Rooms is fantastic, but they don't focus on customer—the customer with creating their app. They're more about the back end, and mm-hmm. and so, but all these other companies have apps or, or actually talk doesn't have an app, but anyways, I want to get your take on it. Cause I believe your restaurants are on resi, all of them. Yes. Um, and is we that made been... a
2: very conscious decision? Okay. We went through evaluating every single one of these mm-hmm. and we decided what would fit the model because what I didn't want was five different of these platforms running around. So it had to be, it's like we use the same POS across all of the restaurants. So these were decisions we made a few years ago that are now kind of moving forward, and we went through a rigorous process to understand each of them, and we went with Resi.
0: What was the like? What led to, ultimately to that decision? I mean, it was probably based on a lot of cost things. Okay, number one reason, <laughs> yeah,
2: very simple. It's mobile friendly, cost, and number three was I think in many ways it wasn't as it still had the customer facing side, and it was versatile, so. I could go on for quite some time about why and what were some of those things. I we used to be on open table. It's not like we had a choice, but I mean, from thousands and thousands of dollars in open table, we tried. We said is that they said these are non negotiable, and then same open table came back saying we're rethinking our entire strategy on pri- pricing as of a few months ago. I just think they had the market, but they became a dinosaur very fast. And I think now they're trying to regain that market and they're going to have a lot of, you know, tough time in that process. I think where Resi won at that time, the price point that they introduced, it was a no-brainer from a restaurant that's spending thousands of dollars. See, I'm not looking at it from a consumer side. We're not the ones going on Resi and making reservations. We're probably calling up a chef or showing up and, you know, so it's very different from a consumer side for us. What was different was how can you... Beat that price, beat that quality, make it mobile friendly. Who are our customer bases? If there's a younger demographic that's coming in, they're ready to go already on their phone. They're not going to open their laptop. So, and talk. I felt was catering a lot more towards a tasting menu experience.
0: Yes, and it's the prepaid I, reservation. It's a prepaid and it, reservation,
2: yeah. so none of our restaurant
1: can support that.
2: Right. So I and I, it's <clears> not <throat> that it's a bad or good product. I just didn't think for the models that we wish to have created which we knew would continue to be a la carte, it didn't make sense. Resi has an option for ticketed experience. If it's ticketed to ticketed, I would say probably talk is better. But if it's a clear, singular experience when it comes down for reservations, backend management, analytics, access to your customer information, every single one of those things, I think it makes it incredibly friendly. Devices. You're not worried about how many devices this thing is on. So it could be, it's on my cell phone. I'm not fighting about it with mm-hmm. open table being somewhere and this giant clunky device. So my God, I can, like I said, go on for hours about it. It's um, I think Resi, the, the genius of Resi came out not just in the app itself, but the blog. I think they started building a community much earlier on that a lot of these other folks were not thinking about. And I think that helped propel them in a far different
1: direction than their competitors. And uh, I'll just add one more thing that what we also felt with Resi was there was some human talking to you always. Yeah. So like, and it could be from any, like it was not only people who were running Resi or operationally, but there would be people who come, oh, we are with Resi, do you need any help with anything? And that was something I think that set the tone apart for that company.
0: Yeah, there's,
2: there's still a there's people no
1: open table guy on
2: Instagram <laughs> there's the Rezi guy which is Colin so yeah, he's, <laughs> a he's, he's everywhere on a skateboard
0: and
1: he's, he's everywhere be, yeah. No, <laughs> no, I'm no not only him like, yeah. I was at SEMA the other day like two months back or something and then this in the afternoon this gentleman comes and he says oh hi I work with Rezi that's my card anything you need anytime guys just drop yeah. in like any problems you have that's it and by
2: nobody the way, else does it
1: you know what's funny there was a phase when we first signed up with
2: Rezi and we kept open table also. So we used to have two different reservation platforms in the very beginning as we're making the transition <coughs> because we were scared that what is this new app? Maybe it's not going to pan out. And we started to see the shift firsthand. In the very beginning, Resi would be only people that because it was on our website who are just going yeah. there. It didn't really have its own customer base. So we thought, oh, maybe it's a fluke. Maybe in six months it's all going to fizzle. Who knows? An open table gave significant number of customers. Fast forward twelve months, the entire dynamic shift changed. Yeah,
0: it's so interesting. It's I recently was making plans with a friend to go to a restaurant Zuzu's. Yes, and my friend had made the reservation, and we were looking to change the time. And I went on Resi, and I I changed the time. I I got a new reservation a little a little later, and I told her, and she's like they're on resi th- there. I made the reservation on an open table. Mm. And so then I looked and they're on both. So Look it was, it, in- it was interesting because I didn't realize that restaurants, I mean, this is recent that are, we're are still doing that. Um, they trying to capture two audiences. I don't, I don't know. I, there I was, I was surprised. Uh, but, um, yeah, all your points, I, I hear you and I think, I mean, I'm it's on this show. I've had, I've, well, Ben Levithal is coming on again next week to talk about his, new project, but Ben, who founded Resi, right. I mean, I've done, I've had him on the show, I've had Nick Kokonis on, I've done a partnership with the Wood Table. like, I'm friends, or friendly with, with all these groups, sure. and I see their their benefits of what they're doing, and I I think there's room, there's room for all of them, they have their purpose, yeah. but I definitely hear you on, I mean, as I said, I'm using Resi more, I'm also, I have the perk of the global access that they, the global a, dining access, yeah, that, that's, um, that's puts me, I mean, notify does work as a as a feature. Of course it um, does. I mean we and, know it from the yeah. back
2: end because whenever there's a cancellation, which happens, you know, last minute yeah. sometimes. And a lot of people we know will pick up that table within a second or two at a Dhammaca or a Sema. And we hear that, we see them and it's a game. We'd be like, okay, let's yeah. open it for 30 seconds and let's see how many we get. Bam. It's a funny process.
0: Well, yeah, I think at one point you told me you couldn't get your own reservation at Damaka. I don't think we can get it now. (laughs) But
1: (laughs) everybody thinks it's a lie, but it's an honest thing. We don't get our reservations at Damaka. My mom and dad, this is an honest truth. You can
2: ask them. I don't think they have, not because of the reservation thing. I could have planned ahead. But they have not had a full meal at Damaka till date.
0: Let's get them in.
2: Yeah, I know, (laughs) right? We keep talking I'll about. Put it. But on life
0: I'll let you know if I get it. <laughs> table for three. <laughs> um, awesome. And I'll just note on one other thing, though. Despite everything we just talked about, I mean, Open tape, Table is still has outsizes everyone that said that they have a uh, 50, 50, participating restaurants compared to Resi at sixteen thousand and Talk at ten thousand. I mean, it's still still giant, you know. So. Yeah, and and I just think that.
2: I wonder about, yes, the, the numbers are higher, but who those demographics are. I think that also matters. Yeah. So.
0: And also different cities. Because yeah. I do find sometimes when I travel um, that there's like Open Table is, where was I? I think it was in Boston. Sure. And that I was finding the reservations I were making were mostly through Open Table. So it was interesting. Yeah.
2: yeah. It depends. You're right. Really
0: yeah, I think city.
1: Rezi is more focused in New York, I think.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, it's San Francisco, et cetera. It's a yeah. larger metropolitan yeah. cities, probably. Look, as a young company, I think each of these platforms are a breath of fresh air from way back when. So in a way, yeah. it's all great. I just think they all serve a slightly different purpose. And we, as business owners, we have to make a decision of what fits the model for us.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Well said. Okay. Um, It's time for my solo dining dining experience. And it's at a restaurant that does not take reservations. (laughs) So um, I was out in San Francisco. I'm going to do another. I did an experience from out there from my trip there last week, but I wanted to talk about this place because I love it. And it is called Swan Oyster Depot. So here is the rundown. The location. 1517 Polk Street in the Knob Hill area of San Francisco, California. The concept. Well, it's a legendary seafood eatery. It's a cultural landmark. Um, it's known for its raw bar fare as being part of a fish market, and it was established in 1912. The owner is are or the, or the San Chimino Brothers, and uh, it was originally founded by four Danish brothers. So why'd I go? Well, I'd been once before, and as I said, it's really one of my favorite spots, so I just wanted to go back. My experience, uh, it was like a week or so ago on a Saturday. I knew they closed at 2.30. I showed up a little after 1, and there was a line of about 20 people. I thought I was be fine getting in. I found out then that they stopped letting people in at 2 o'clock, and the line wasn't really moving. But based on my experience as a solo diner, I decided... Was getting close to two, waiting in line, I decided to walk up front and peek my head in and just ask if there are any solo seats. And the when the guys behind the counter came out and or talked to me, and he was like, "Is there anyone else solo in front of you?" And I said, "No." And he's like, "I'll meet you at the end." So I walked down. There happened to be two solo seats, not next to each other, in this space, which is only uh, 18 seats. But so as a solo diner, I got in, and then I had this fantastic experience where. The woman next to me was from Oakland, and she was a regular there. And we chatted the whole time and shared food with each other. And um, everyone working behind that counter was just – it's just a really cool spot. They've been there forever. They lay out the fish right there in front of you, and they're slicing sashimi. And there's – the menu is on the wall. um, And at the end, my check, when I asked, you know, for my bill – The guy asked me what I got and took out a napkin and like wrote down some numbers and said, here. (laughs) And it was cash only. And it was just really, it's just a really fun, fantastic restaurant. So what did I get? Well, I got a small sashimi plate, which had all the fish of the day, which included salmon, tuna, yellowtail, and scallops. I got five oysters one of each that they had, um, the woman next to me, Patty, was like, You got to get the oysters and with the mignonette. So it was like, Okay, I'm doing oysters. Um, and I love their crab. I got a crab salad. And then with her, I shared, she had smoked salmon on rye, which is what they're also known for. Um, well, it's all fantastic. But it was really, I mean, my take, I just love it. I mean, if you're a seafood lover, this is the place to go to. Um, it's there's no frills it's just uh, it's like all counter seats and it's just it's just really good and they bring you i mean the the crab meat and the cocktail glass and had hot chili sauce and horseradish and and uh, different sides um to go with it and it's just it's just a really cool spot uh so the ambiance as i said it's 18 seats um very casual has character um i mean uh, the walls are covered with memorabilia from from the long history and, um, yeah, as I, and the, the menu. I mean, it's all it's all just, it's just a really, I guess, authentically cool, legendary spot. I'd say it's perfect for solo dining or seafood lovers. And interesting tidbit. Um, so apparently it opened in 1903 and then it paused for a little bit because there was a, an earthquake in 1906 in San Francisco. And so it's been in this new location in 1912. It's hard to believe it's been around that yeah. long. Um, and it's been operated since 1946 by uh, this this family that's running it, and there's a bunch of cousins behind it. You could just tell everyone working there has just been there a long time, and they're like family. It felt like, you know, you're part of a family when you're there. So personal, but it's like super hard to get into with the line, and I think Anthony Bourdain once talked about it in one of his shows. So it's also a tourist destination. Um, Personal fun fact, I had some more oysters on this trip. I also had oysters at Hog Island Oysters in Napa, and they have some locations in San Francisco, and um, broiled oysters at the anchovy bar, which were really great. So the cost of my meal on the napkin, it said it was $67. That was not including tip. I believe it was Including anything else of tax. Um, and again, cash only. Would I go back? Yes. And their website is Swan Instagram swan dot, swan dot oyster dot depot. There you go. Did I sell it? Yes, yes. <laughs> Sold. I love this spot. I don't know. People, I don't, I never like the favorite restaurant question, but if I had to pick restaurants like around the country or world, like there's just something about this place that's really special because it's just, it's hard to get in. The food is so good. Like it's just really fresh, wonderful seafood and it has character. So. Sounds
2: like fun. We have to be there. There you go.
0: Okay. So time for the final question. My next guest is Ben Leventhal. He is the founder and CEO of Blackbird Labs, Inc., which is a new loyalty membership and payments technology company. As I mentioned, Ben is also the co-founder and former CEO of Resi, and he's the co-founder of Eater.com. I do not know really anything yet about this new company, but Ben has a good track record. <laughs> so what would you guys like to ask him?
2: Is it going to be integrated with Resi? That's a
0: great <laughs> question. I'll just start the show with that. <laughs> start and end it with that. I have
2: a, no, but a, a, a genuine question for Ben. I think.
0: I will ask that though.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think I, I hope to God it would be. Um, I think, you know, he has this really terrific uh, path that he has taken by sort of creating conversations in areas that wasn't necessarily there. Like Eater, in many ways, really broke new ground, right? What Rezi did brought in a whole different conversation. What I want to know is through this loyalty program, Blackbirds, is that what it's called?
0: It's called Blackbird Labs, Inc. Blackbird, yeah, Blackbird Labs,
2: the question I would have for him is, how, he, how is he going to disrupt the market with it? That's the
0: question. Great. Yeah. Anything else you want to add or we're good?
1: I just want to know that, just want to know his thought process. That how does he think through about our idea? Like, not in detail about yeah. any specific, but just about... You know, because it's very important that every time he does something, it's very disruptive and it's something very new. So it's very important to know the thought process behind it. Like, And it could be anything. Tomorrow he might open up a water company. Yeah. And it will be a disruptive company. So what's the thought process? That's important. So that's what I would love to know.
0: I'm going to find out. I'm really excited to chat with him because he is, he is Ben Leventhal and he's made, he's He's disrupted with yeah. his companies and in, in, in a beautiful way. And I think when, when he first with Rez, when I think back to his first launch, it wasn't like I mean I don't I don't know how much resistance there was, but I wouldn't say it was as like open arm love fest for the as today. I no, mean it I wasn't. think he had I'm to I was skeptical he myself. He had to go up against, you know a giant. A, a giant who was dominating everything was yes. by yes. one company. So
2: It could have been the flavor of the season. Yeah. And I'm telling you, there were many other apps that came right around when Resi did. We just don't even remember them. We evaluated a whole slew of them. Mm -hmm. And I think somewhere consistently they made better decisions to keep Resi going. Maybe it also... I I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, the acquisition by American Express. Whatever that might have been, but I think it gave them legs to keep moving forward and take
0: strides. Yeah. Wonderful. That's the show. I wish, I mean, thank we could talk longer, I'm sure, but um, you've probably got to get back to some of your yeah. restaurants. Uh, so you guys are awesome. I'm so glad I've gotten to know you a little bit over the sure. past few years, and I love all your restaurants, and I can't wait to come back and see what you do next. Thank, so. you.
1: thank, thank you. Thank you. It means a lot. Us. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. And thank you for coming out to Brooklyn. Yes.
1: We are in Brooklyn. We are in Brooklyn.
0: (laughs) Another part of Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. My guests today have been Rani Mazumdar and Chef Chintan Pandya, the co-owners of Unapologetic Foods, an award-winning restaurant group that is out to redefine Indian food. You can find out more about all their restaurants. Go to unapologeticfoods.nyc and you can follow them at ronnie.mazumdar, at chefchintan, and at unapologeticfoods. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are bayerpublicrelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and All in the Industry.com. All of our shows are archived at Heritage Radio dot, dot org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks to publicist, Stephen Hall. And thanks again to Ronnie and Chintan. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. We are off next week for Thanksgiving. So I will be back with a new show with Ben Leventhal on November 30th. Have a wonderful holiday. And thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thank you. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast.